Well, welcome to Sojourn Church. We're glad that you're here today, that God's brought you to gather with us this morning. Uh, If you need a Bible, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a group of guys bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us this morning as we open up the Word. As we say every week, if you don't actually own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift, uh, just so that you can read along with us and be able to get in God's Word and have it throughout the week as well. Last week, if you were here last week, we uh, mentioned that we are celebrating our two-year anniversary as a church. And with most anniversaries, it it tends to lend itself towards reminiscing. And so this last week or two, I've really been thinking uh, about our church, but been thinking a lot about my family personally. I mean, my family's done a lot over these last few years, these last two years in particular with this church. uh, But even before that, leading up to the beginning of Sojourn Church, about five years ago, my family moved to... Louisville, Kentucky, for me to finish up seminary and really figure out if God was calling us to plant a church. That time was just my wife and I. We had our first son while we lived in Louisville. About three years ago, we uh, moved back to Virginia and uh, began the process of planting the church. And so for about six months, we actually lived in my parents' basement, which is always fun when you're in your 30s to live with mom and dad again. But, you know, it's what we had to do in order to begin the process of planting this church. After that six months, we moved into Fairfax to be in the community that God was calling us to reach out to, to plant this church in, to begin to build relationships where sojourn would exist. And over this time, our families continued to grow. Our second son was born, Isaac, about a year ago. And this past January, my family moved into the very city of Fairfax. We said, we want to be right in the middle of where God has called us to be, at ground zero, so to speak, of this area where we feel God has called us to preach and apply the gospel to the lives of people all over the place, ours included. Now, the house we moved into, into in the city of Fairfax, was built in 1956. That's crazy to me. 1956. I mean, it's crazy to think that all that has happened since 1956 in our world, and even just in Fairfax in particular, how different the world looks now than it did when that house was first built in 1956. A lot has changed. The house itself has changed. It's been added onto and recently renovated as a house. In fact, when I go and look at pictures of the house on Google Maps, it looks completely different, almost unrecognizable. It's gone through a transformation. And transformation, when a transformation occurs, it it brings about change. That's what the definition of transformation really is. And, And all of us are used to transformation. We exist in a world where transformation happens all over the place. The seasons bring about transformation. We see it in children, or as we ourselves are getting older, we see transformation and change taking place. When we open up the scriptures, we see that transformation is there as well. In fact, I would say that it's a core effect of the gospel in your life and my life to see transformation take place. There's a dramatic transformation and change that occurs and so as we finish our series, A Community of Grace, I want to look at a text of Scripture that highlights the radical nature of gospel transformation. It's going to help us to understand how radical it is what happens when Christ comes into our life. But as we get into this text, we will see that the gospel of grace doesn't just transform, it also compels us to do something. So before we jump into the Word this morning, let's just spend time in prayer and ask God to bless our time Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be able to gather together this morning. And Lord, I know that there are a lot of people here that are going through a lot of different things. 
some exciting things is there's several people that are about to get married. People that are, have just had babies or getting ready to have babies. And Lord, I know there's a lot of people here that are struggling this morning with sickness and difficulty in life right now. And so Lord, no matter where we're at, as we come and gather together this morning, I pray that we would remember that we can lay everything at your feet. We should lay everything at your feet. And so that's what we want to do now. And we just bring our whole life before you and submit it to you and pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would speak your truth into our hearts. Not because I'm saying anything special, but Lord, we believe that your word has power in it. Power to transform, power to encourage, power to change us. And so Lord, we ask you today, we, we pray today, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, as your word goes out, that you would do a work that only you can do. And that as we leave this place, we would be encouraged and transformed to be who you've called us to be. So we give this time to you. We pray that you'd be honored in it. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And so you can flip over there. We're going to read a bigger chunk of scripture in chapter 5, starting in verse 14. All the way through the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. And this is what Paul says, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is an interesting text to look at. It's an interesting text to look at because as we read through this, we don't see any explicit commands that Paul gives to the church for us to follow, any directives that are given. And starting in verse 14, we maybe kind of feel like we're just jumping into the middle of something, and we kind of are. See, the letter of 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the Corinthians because the Corinthians are questioning Paul. They don't believe that he has authority. They're not really sure they should listen to what he has to say. And so Paul's writing this letter to them to exhort them and challenge them to listen to what he has to say. But while there's no direct commands given by Paul to the church, he throws down some insane truth in these few verses in 2 Corinthians 5. So I want us to see these truths. I want us to understand these truths, but see that they're not just truths to be believed That there's implications for not just Paul's life, but for your life and for my life as well. Paul makes a bold statement in verse 14. He says that the love of Christ controls us. It controls us. Does it influence us? Does it suggest things to us? He 
says it controls us. Now, why would he say something like this? How could he say something like this? Well, he tells us it's because Christ died for us. And as Christ died, we died, as we saw last week in Romans chapter 6. Scripture tells us we are no longer our own. We are bought with a price. And Jesus is Lord. And so if you know Christ, your life is hidden in him now. We are united with Jesus in all things. And so Christ's love controls us. It directs everything that we should do. It impacts all of our life. And that's grace to you. That's grace to me if we're in Christ. Because when we try to do things on our own, it doesn't go well. We need the love of Christ to control us. But Paul elaborates on this a bit more. He teases this out a bit more to help us to understand. And what he says is essential for us to understand because I think it confronts a core issue of every single person's heart that's sitting in this room today. Mine included. See, when the love of Christ controls us, it changes us. When Christ died, we died. When Christ was raised, we are raised. We have new life in and through him alone. But that's not how it's always been. We used to live for ourselves. See, that's at the core of every person since Adam. At our core, in the depths of our heart, we live for me. We look out for me. We're focused on me. It's not hard to see that in our world around us as we look out. But when the love of Christ comes into our life, what the love of Christ does as Jesus comes to rule and reign is it wrecks the idol of self. It destroys the idol of self that exists in your heart and my heart and it replaces it with the only thing, the only person worth truly living for. You and I were dead men and women walking But in and through Christ, we now have life. And so Paul says, because of that, because of the love of Christ that now controls us, we don't live for ourselves any longer. Now we live for him who for our sake died and was raised. It transforms the focus of our life. It transforms the trajectory of our life. That's what it means for the love of Christ to control you and me. Again, that's grace to us. Our culture needs to know this and hear this and believe this. Because it brings freedom. But you and I need to be reminded of this, to hear this and believe this because it brings freedom to our lives as well. So if you know Christ this morning, if you have new life in him, if his love controls you, and it does, then that should compel you now to live for him, to do everything for his glory and for the good of others. It changes you. And as it changes you, one of the things that it changes in you is it changes your view of the world. You can't look at the world the same way that you always did before the love of Christ controlled you. And Paul brings this up in verse 16, saying, Therefore, in light of this, in light of the fact that Christ's love controls us, in light of the fact that I no longer live for me, but I live for God, I can't look at people the same way. I can regard no one according to the flesh. We can no longer just have a view of someone as just being merely human. We understand now that as we look out in our city and our neighbors and people all around us, ourselves included, that we are either enslaved to sin or united with Christ. We're either in Adam or in Christ. We are either spiritually dead or spiritually alive. Now we're going to come back to his point in verse 16 as it applies very much to this text as we seek to apply it to our life. Paul says he even used to regard Christ according to the flesh. When he thought of Jesus, when he heard of Jesus, and it's likely that Paul had some level of exposure to Jesus while Jesus walked on this earth, that Paul saw him as a false prophet, a false messiah. 
And his goal in life was to destroy everything that had been created through the ministry and work of Jesus. Namely, by destroying the church of Jesus. But something glorious happened to Paul. Jesus saved him. Because he wasn't looking for him. He was on his way to do what he wanted to do. Living only for him, but the love of Christ came into Paul's life. God gave him ears to hear and eyes to see that Jesus is not a false Messiah, but the real, true, everlasting Messiah, the Savior of the world. God opened Paul's eyes to see the grace that he so desperately needed. So now he no longer regards Christ just according to the flesh. The Spirit has opened his eyes to see that Christ is who he says he is, that he is the living God, the Savior of the world. But see, Paul, I think, is reflecting on this, and as he reflects on what's happened in his own life, Remembering what God has done for him, that he wasn't seeking after God, that he wasn't looking for salvation. As he's reflecting on this, in almost a side note, it looks like, as we read through the text, almost a side note, he throws down one of the most hope-filled truths in the scriptures. Verse 17, he says, therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Man, can I remind you again this morning, Sojourn, that this is true for you today if you know Christ. We talked about this last week, but it's good for us to be reminded of this, that God's grace transforms you. It makes you new. And like I said last week, and I'll say over and over again as a church, we need to remind one another of this. That's what it means to be a community of grace is that we remind each other that this is true of us if we're in Christ. We remind each other that this impacts the way that we live. The old is gone. The new has come. If you're in Christ this morning, you are a new creation. And it's not something you figured out on your own. Verse 18 says, all this is from God. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We need to understand that reconciliation comes through Jesus. But I want to slow down here a little bit because I want to make sure that we actually understand what reconciliation really means. Not breezing past this because this is really important for us. See, reconciliation is about the restoration of relationships. And so we can seek reconciliation with people. There's marriages that seek reconciliation that have had difficulty between a husband and a wife. Friends can be reconciled to one another. There's a broken relationship that's restored back to the right place. But in this case, Paul's saying the relationship is between us and God. And all of us need to be reconciled to God. There's not a single person that's born into this world that doesn't need reconciliation to God. But it's not because he broke our relationship. It's because we rebelled against him. We sought to go our own way. But in the midst of this, Paul wants us to understand something. Reconciliation to God is not something that we accomplish. It's not us laying down our weapons or waving a white flag of surrender. Reconciliation is something God accomplishes for us. It's his doing from beginning to end. Now, how how did he do this, we might ask. How could he do this? Well, Paul wants to make sure that we understand how this reconciliation actually is able to take place. And another throw-down sentence, a sentence that I think encapsulates what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, he gives us the how. So jumping down to verse 21, Paul says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
I mean, this is an impressive, absolute statement for us. If, as we read verse 21, this is the, the meat and potatoes of Christianity. Okay, if we read this, this is a steak dinner for us to feast on. And so if you're here today just checking out what Christianity is about, this is good for you, a good point in the sermon for you to listen up. But if you've known Christ for a long time, this is a good point for you to listen up because this is good for the soul. See, what Paul's describing here in verse 21 is what has been called the great exchange. Your sin is laid on Christ, and Christ's perfect, righteous life is given to you. There's an exchange that takes place. It's as if I'm wearing a filthy outfit, a a dirty, stained shirt, nasty, dirty pants. Then I take those clothes off and I hand them to Jesus, and Jesus puts all those clothes on identifying with me. And then he gives me his perfect, spotless clothing to put on. But it's not to borrow. It's to keep forever. He doesn't say, I want want to get that back. Don't mess that up. No, he gives it to us. says, this now is yours to wear. This is your clothing. And I'm going to take the filthy, stained rags of your life so that you can be reconciled to God. But this righteousness, it comes by faith. It doesn't come by doing. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't say, well, where did you get those garments? I want to check that out. What store did you get those from? Where can I go order that from? There's nothing that you can do. It's not about trusting in your own efforts or your own works or your own good deeds. It's not about trying to be a good person. It's about trusting in Christ and his righteousness alone. It's acknowledging our sin and our desperate state before God and believing, believing that Christ died for me, that Christ lived a perfect life for me, that Christ rose again for me. And so when you and I, by faith alone, in Christ alone, receive the righteousness of Christ, when we lean on the righteousness of Christ, everything changes for us. Now, when God, holy God, looks at you, he no longer sees a rebel He no longer sees an enemy, but he sees a son. He sees a daughter. When he sees us, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ that we are now clothed in. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's through the death of Jesus that you and I can be reconciled. And it's through the life of Jesus that you and I can be reconciled to God. Jesus is the only way that we can receive reconciliation. As one pastor says about reconciliation in relation to God, he says reconciliation is not some polite ignoring or reduction of hostility, but rather it's total and objective removal of hostility. Reconciliation is something God accomplishes when in the death of his son he puts away everything, everything that caused the broken relationship in the first place. It's removed. It's completely gone, not just lessened. As we've said before at Sojourn, it's important for us to remember this. The righteousness that God demands from us, he gives to us. What God requires, he provides. You and I can't stand before holy God. As Alan said, we we don't have a righteousness of our own that we can come and stand boldly before God, but God gives us what we need. He gives us Christ so that we can have a reconciled relationship. So all of it, every last ounce of reconciliation is from God. And that's the beauty of God's unfathomable grace. It's the beauty of the reality of the good news of Jesus. 
Now, why is Paul talking about this here? Why is he sharing this with the Corinthian church? It's because the truth of God's reconciling grace has radically changed Paul's life. A man who once hated Christ, who sought to destroy his church, to destroy his people, has now been reconciled to God and to God's people. And now his life's mission, the purpose of his living, as he's controlled by the love of Christ, is to spread that message of reconciling grace to the world. Listen to what he says to the Corinthians in verse 18 through 20 again. He says, all this is from God, through who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, well, what's the ministry of reconciliation? Paul tells us, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. He's not counting your trespass against you any longer because he counts that to Christ. And what's credited to you is Christ's righteousness. And now he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ to the world. We go out on behalf of Christ. And what we go out to say, the message that we bring, the appeal that we make on behalf of Christ is be reconciled to God. That's Paul's message to the Corinthians. It's his message to the nations. See, I think something we need to understand in all this is that Paul's ministry as an ambassador of Jesus flows out of his understanding, flows out of his experience of the gospel of grace in his own life. He was lost, but God saved him. He was dead, but God gave him life. He was in darkness, but he's been brought into the light by God. Nothing has been the same. Nothing could be the same since for Paul. See, this is not about Paul's personal testimony. Paul's life is a testimony of God's reconciling grace. It's saying that Paul, even Paul, could be restored to a right relationship with God. I hope that's encouraging to you this morning because what that says to you is that you, even you, can be reconciled to God. Paul's story can be your story because Paul's story is God's story. Paul now knows that apart from Christ that people are under just condemnation. They, re, they receive the righteous wrath of God to be eternally punished, eternally separated from God because of their rebellion and their sin. And it breaks Paul's heart. And Paul gets the gospel. And because he has experienced the gospel, he's amped up to tell people about Jesus. Because in Paul's mind, there's nothing else worth talking about. There's nothing else worth telling people about. It's absolutely central to his life. Paul's motivation for mission is grace. Now, why are we talking about this? Why does this matter for us here and now? Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians. He's not writing it specifically to us when he sat down to do this. But God has placed this in the Bible for us. It's for us. It serves us as well. So why does it do that? Because when you and I are a part of a community of grace, we understand that grace reconciles us to God. And we understand that grace reconciles us to one another. We understand that grace now calls us to bring the message of reconciliation to others. So I want to walk through three points of application from this text. Three ways that we need to apply this to our life here and now. So the first point of application is this. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. It's important for us as a church to never lose sight of our need for reconciliation to God. 
A community of grace always has in view our need for Jesus. Always. We never move on past Jesus. We never move on past the righteousness that we're so desperate for. Realizing that if we're separated from that, if we lose that righteousness of Jesus, then we'd have no means of standing before God. So we need to remember that Christ has not just given that to us to borrow. He's given it to us to keep. And so now we can be reconciled to God. Let's not forget the truth of Titus 3 that we looked at two weeks ago. Let's not forget the reality of Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Many of you, if not most of you here today, have experienced the reconciling grace of God. You are reconciled to him. So don't forget that. Don't stray from that. Don't believe the lies of the enemy or the world that says you still need to do something to earn God's favor or his love. He is father. You are his son. You are his daughter because of Jesus. And because you are changed, everything is changed for you. You are a new creation. So my exhortation to you this morning, if you are in Christ, is walk in your reconciliation. Walk in the reality of your reconciliation. See, I think a lot of us sometimes can read about the reconciliation we have with God through Christ and how we actually view that is, is as if we've signed a ceasefire agreement with God. Okay, we're we're enemies, but we're just going to stop acting like enemies with one another. So we're not really reconciled. There's not really peace. It's just a ceasefire agreement. But that's not what's happened between you and God through Christ. You have been reconciled. The relationship has been restored. There is peace now. Hebrews 4 says that we can boldly come before the throne of grace now. We can ask God for things. We can come to him as father when we are struggling or have needs in our life. We can come to him when we're struggling to believe, when there's difficulty. It's a restored relationship. So walk in your reconciliation. Live your life as if God is your father. Come to him with whatever's going on in your life. Listen to him in his word as it's spe- it spoken over you, as you read it. And seek to, stri- seek to walk in obedience. Strive to walk in holiness because you have been reconciled to God. As you go out in the week this week, know that truth. That should encourage you. As you live your life, no matter what it is you're doing, that you have a right relationship with God now. So be reconciled to him. Walk with him. Live out the implications of your reconciled life now. And some of you, though, haven't yet experienced the reconciling grace of God. Maybe you feel far away from him right now. Maybe you feel like you're on the edge. You're, you're there. You, you want to believe, but you're struggling to believe. But the message of grace is offered to you today. Christ came and lived a perfect life so that your sin, your rebellion, might not be counted against you. But instead, Christ's perfect life will be credited to you. His perfect righteousness. That's grace. 
There's nothing you can do to earn it. It isn't about doing. It's about leaning completely on what Jesus has done for you. But a response is required for that reconciliation to be effective in your life. A response of repentance and faith, of turning away from sin and turning to Christ, trusting in him alone. So Paul's words to the Corinthians are my words to you this morning. On behalf of Christ, I implore you, I beg you, if you don't yet know Jesus, be reconciled to God. There's no better time to do that. Bring all of your mess, all of your life, all the darkness, all the shame, lay it down knowing that Christ stands ready to forgive you and ready to transform you. Coming to know and follow Jesus does not give you a perfect life, but Christ gives you his perfect life so that you might know God. So no matter what comes after you come to know and follow Jesus, after he becomes Lord of your life, the truth of the gospel is that he will never now leave you or forsake you. So come to him today if you don't know him. Ask him to save you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, right after this section, Paul says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't wait another minute. Repent and turn to Christ today. Believe in Jesus today. We want you to know him. See, all of us need to be reconciled to God, and Christ has provided that for us. But when we're reconciled to God, we are also reconciled to one another. So we're reconciled to God. The second point is be reconciled to one another. Reconciliation with God implies reconciliation among God's people. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 14 and six through 16, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Look, you're not reconciled to God merely as an individual. You are reconciled to God in the midst of a family, to one another, a family of grace recipients. It's why we do passing of the peace every week as we gather as the church. It's why we remind each other every week that we don't just come and sit in a chair as an individual, disconnected from the people around us. We come and we gather together as a family, all in desperate need of grace. It allows us to come together no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter what our differences might be. We are brothers and sisters in Christ who have one Father. But what this means is, is that you and I have to view each other differently, just like Paul says in verse 16. We can no longer look at each other according to the flesh. If we're in Christ, we are all new creations. If we are in Christ, we all have the Holy Spirit. If we're in Christ, we are in Christ. We understand each other differently because of grace, or we should. We're not mere humans with mere beliefs. We are blood-bought, spirit-filled people, children of the living God. We can't look at anyone in Christ the same way. We are all new creations if we're in Christ, verse 17 says. But the reality of life is that sometimes our old self rears its ugly head in our lives. So conflict arises. 
We have difficulty with one another. We offend one another. We sin against one another. We rub each other the wrong way. We just don't always get along. But this is why you and I need to be reminded of the reconciling grace of our God. It's disarming to us because we all need it. It's humbling because we all need it. So sojourn, be reconciled to one another. Be reconciled to one another. And the only way that you can be reconciled to one another is if we speak the gospel to each other. Reminding each other of who we are. Being reminded of who our brothers and sisters are. That Christ died for them and Christ died for you. See, you and I should be the quickest to forgive, the quickest to extend grace, the quickest to reconcile with one another, the quickest to show love. We should be the most humble, the most patient, the most gentle, the least selfish. Because we've all experienced that from God. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for him now. Everything has changed because of grace, even your relationships with each other. The love of Christ controls us now. So let's love one another. So let me ask you this question this morning. Is there someone here that's a part of this church that you need to be reconciled to? Not a ceasefire agreement. True reconciliation. Where you can look at your brother, you can look at your sister and say, you're my brother, you're my sister. Because of God's grace, we can have peace with one another. Let me encourage you this morning, if you know there's somebody in this room right now that you need to be reconciled to today, that you would go do that today. That you would go do that before you come to the table to take communion today. So that you can come together in peace with your brother and your sister. Reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. It's hard, but it's so important for us. As one pastor writes about, he says, reconciliation can be a painful process. God understands this. It took the life of his son to reconcile sinful man to himself. But he has not called his people to sacrifice their children in order to appease an earthly enemy. He has called us to sacrifice our pride in order to model his message of reconciliation to others. He has called us to live peaceably with all men. And when that fails, he calls us to love unselfishly from a heart that has been reconciled to God. He calls us to remember that we are new creations with new affections and new behavior and that we were first love when we were enemies. It's hard. It's hard, but it's so important. It's not just important for our community. It's important for the people of Fairfax as well. So we need to be reconciled to God We need to be reconciled to one another. And our last point of application is that we need to be ministers and messengers of reconciliation. We need to be ministers and messengers of reconciliation. But see, the first two points matter. They're not disconnected from this third point. To be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to one another, affects our ability to be messengers of reconciliation. See, when you and I understand the gospel, we regard one another differently. We operate from a place of grace. But if we aren't doing that with one another, then how in the world are we going to take the reconciling gospel to the people around us? It'll hold no water. It'll hold no weight. If we go and say that peace comes through Christ between God and man, and if we're not at peace with one another, if we're not reconciled with one another, then it's quick to shoot holes through that gospel. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled to one another so that we can be ministers and messengers of reconciliation. 
Because when we're reconciled to God and to one another, we can take that same message to the world. And man, our world needs reconciliation. It's not hard for us to see that. You can turn on the news or look online and see that there's need for reconciliation all over the place. In places like Ferguson or Iraq, Nigeria or the Sudan, between Russia and Ukraine. There is brokenness all around us in our neighborhood, in our own community. But you and I have experienced and are now called to bring the message of wholeness, of healing, of peace. The gospel is a message of peace. It restores the shalom of God to the world. First between God and man, but first, I mean, Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says that God is reconciling all things to him through Christ. So we now bring that message But just as you and I can't regard one another according to the flesh, we also can't regard those around us according to the flesh. We can't look at anybody as merely human, but all people as spiritual, all people as people in need of grace. So let me me ask you this. Do you see people as real people? Do you see people as real people? I was thinking about this the other day as I was driving around. I was sitting at a stoplight. And cars are just passing by. And I was just thinking about the reality that every single person in every single one of those cars all bear the image of God. All of them, like me, are in need of God's reconciling grace. Each and every person carries God's mark. It's been tainted. It's been messed up. But they all carry God's mark. And so we, as reconciled people, as redeemed people, as a community of grace, then should value all people. No matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what their lives currently look like. Because we recognize, like Paul, that apart from God's intervening and overwhelming grace, that we would be dead in our sin too. It changes the way you view people. We need to see all people through the eyes of Jesus. And grace enables us to do that. When we recognize our own reconciliation, we look out and, like Paul, should have a broken heart for those who are still in need of it. See, the people of Fairfax need to be reconciled to God and to one another. So sojourn, who will tell them? How will they know? As you look out on the community around you, as you sit in traffic, as you think about your neighbors, people you sit at work with, people you sit in class with, are you mindful of what they can become? Or do you only see the fallenness? When you see the fallenness, when it affects your own life, does that upset you? Or does it break your heart? Knowing that what that person needs is God's grace. Because when someone experiences God's grace, they too are made a new creation. The old has passed away. And what if someone had given up on you? What if someone had given up on you and said, that's not worth it. I don't want him to be reconciled to God. I don't want her to experience God's grace because they bother me. And this is what God has called you and me to do. This is why you are where you are. It's why you work where you work. It's why you go to school where you go to school. It's why you live where you live. It's why you're in the family that you're in. I was talking with my son Owen recently. We were uh, praying together before he went to bed one night and we'd had some good interactions with some of our neighbors and we've wanted to be in Fairfax, as I said earlier, so that we can talk to our neighbors about Jesus as we have this church here in Fairfax. And so we had had one of those times just hanging out with one of our neighbors. And I said, hey, buddy, I mean, 
how cool is it to think that maybe God had us move into this particular house so we could talk to this particular neighbor about Jesus? And in all honesty and truthfulness, he looked to me and said, Daddy, we don't just need to tell them about Jesus. We need to tell everybody about Jesus. Man, would that be our heart as a church? That we would look out in the city as you drive out of here today, as you go eat lunch, as we hang out at the park this afternoon to celebrate two years of our church, that we would look around and see people all around and say, they need to know about Jesus. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why this church is here. Sojourn, we are a reconciled people, which means that we have become a reconciling people to bring the message of reconciliation. And people who are desperate for grace make the best messengers of grace. So are you desperate for grace? Do you constantly know that you need God's reconciling grace in your life, never moving beyond it? Because the gospel of grace is the motivation and the means of mission for us. Grace compels you to get up and go across the street. Grace compels you to look over the fence or the cubicle. It compels you to go to lunch with your coworker, to serve your neighbor, to talk to the cashier at the grocery store, to speak to that guy who's always at Starbucks at the same time that you are. Grace compels you to engage with real people because you're a real person who once was lost but God saved who once was dead but God gave life, who once was in darkness but God brought you to the light. And nothing has been the same since. Nothing could be the same since because of that in your life. You and I have the only message of hope and peace. You have the message of reconciling grace to give those who need it. To close out our time together and to close out this series, I want to show you another video that's encouraging to me. And it's some of some of our brothers and sisters here and just what God has been doing in their lives. So just take a minute and listen to your brother and sister this morning. God is at work in this community. And I, I so appreciate what Austin and Katie said. That's something I hope becomes ingrained in our head and our heart. And that is that mission is not something we add on to life. It is our life. All of life is an opportunity for us to share the love of Christ, the grace that we've received I love how God has grown the Murrays to be on mission in all of life. The love of Christ controls them now. And they're seeking to share that love with people all around them. So I hope you're encouraged by God's grace in their life. I hope you're challenged by it as well. Sojourn, we do this together. As Katie said, tomorrow when you wake up and head out to work, be reminded that you are a part of a community of grace. That you have brothers and sisters all over the city representing Christ. Speaking of Christ to people all over the place. Man, what an amazing privilege that you have and I have to be ministers and messengers of reconciliation. To be ambassadors for Jesus. What a privilege we have. And I long for our church to develop a culture of mission. That we would be a whole church that all speak of Jesus in all of life. I long for our church to be a church that has people in it that will say, when I came to be a part of this church two years ago, I didn't know God, but now I do. I long for our church to be a church where the image, where we image the reconciling grace of God in our relationships with one another and in our love for the world. I long for our church to be overwhel so overwhelmed by that grace that our joy in Christ will be evident as we gather together on Sundays and as we scatter throughout the week. Sojourn, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin, 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is good news. That's the best news. And that's the good news that we now have to bring to others. And so as a community of grace, rest in the reconciliation that you and I have received. And now let's go and take the message of reconciliation to the world. As we come to the table this morning, we come to partake in a reconciling meal. We once were enemies of God, but because of Christ, we now come to the table as children of God and brothers and sisters of one another. That's grace. As we eat the bread and drink the cup this morning, be reminded that we have been reconciled to God now, which means that we will be with him forever. And I hope that every time you come to do this, we do this every week. I hope it isn't just routine for you or just rote for you, but that every time you come forward, you're encouraged, you're blown away, that while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. May that refresh you today and compel you to go and tell others so that they too might experience God's reconciling grace. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take the bread and take the cup. Because as we come forward to do this, what we're proclaiming is that we are desperate for God's grace. That we recognize that it's only through Christ that we can be reconciled to God. And so if you don't yet believe that, if you haven't yet come to that point, then we would ask you not to come forward, but instead stay in your seat and take Christ today. As I said earlier, be reconciled to God. Just hang out in your seat and pray. Ask God to save you. Ask him to reveal himself to you clearly. And turn away from your sin and turn to trust in Jesus today. And if you have questions about what that means, please come talk to me afterwards or any of our other leaders. We'd love to talk with you about that, to journey with you in that. And those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready and tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. And feel free to take it immediately or when you get back to your seat. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be able to spend this last three weeks going through this series talking about your grace, talking about what it means to be a community of grace. Lord, that you have saved us not because we've done anything in and of ourselves, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to your mercy. You've been justified by grace. Lord, we thank you that we've been reminded and exhorted that because of grace, because of our new identity in Jesus, that we're no longer enslaved to sin, that we can resist it and walk in obedience and walk in holiness now. And Lord, we're reminded this morning that because of grace, we are reconciled to you. We haven't signed a ceasefire agreement. We are sons and daughters of you, God. And so, Lord, I pray that as we reflect on that, that it wouldn't just stop with reflecting. It wouldn't just lead us to worship, though I hope it does that, Lord. But I pray that it would compel us to go out, that we would not be able to look at anyone the same way. And I pray, Lord, that wouldn't just be something that happens tomorrow as this is fresh on our mind, but that would radically transform the way we see people going forward forever. That we would no longer be able to regard anyone according to the flesh. So, Lord, as we do that, give us a burden for lostness in our city, in this region, and that we would speak the message of reconciling grace to everyone we come in contact with. And Lord, I pray that you would do the work that you do, that you would give people ears to hear and eyes to see, faith to believe, and call people to yourself. Lord, we want to see people experience that grace 
so they can say along with us that the old has passed away, the new has come. Lord, we praise you today, and as we continue to worship through communion and the singing of these songs, I pray that you'd encourage our hearts and that you'd get all the glory and honor. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.